We are in 2 Chronicles chapters 5 and 6, and today there will be a couple of doctrinal things to cover as well as, uh, we've been basically covering this as history, um, but there's, uh, because of Solomon's prayer, there's some doctrine to cover, and um, it, uh, not that I'm going to bemoan my work, but commentaries on Chronicles at this point usually stop, and the writer will say, see my notes on 1 Kings chapter 8, because of this identical prayer, um, and uh, uh, guys don't like to uh, reproduce things, although... Although, and while Luther didn't cover these particular books of the Bible, I find it very useful reading Luther where he has, he'll cover parallel passages at different times and not worry about that he talked about it before because there's always something different and something new and maybe a more mature mind to keep covering things. And so um, I've taken a, a, that page out of Luther's book um, and I won't say just go back and read the notes because I did First Kings, you know, in uh, 2006. So, and I expect all of you to have kept those notes, you know. <laughs> yeah, most of you weren't here for that class. Um, but in chapter 5, we are in, um, is the slide up there? In the tabernacle, or rather in Solomon's temple, I should say. And uh, I do like that picture of, of Solomon's temple it goes up the full 60 feet uh, in the top part, in, portion anyway, and uh, in, the, in the holy place. The Holy of Holies is probably incorrectly drawn on the gray outlined drawing, the side view. Um, but in the plan, the, the, the bottom black outline, which is a top view, is, is correctly drawn. We talked about that the other day, but the... the uh, uh, the photograph of the model, I don't know if this is a computer model or uh, an actual model, it's hard to tell. I've been toying with the idea of building a model like this myself for our classes uh, sometime, uh, and I might do that. Uh, Professor Paul Belke gave me a little bit of advice and a little help with uh, the, the plan of doing that. You know, when you do that, it never turns out right. Because along with Minecraft, which is a computer Lego thing, because uh, the, the, you only got a couple of choices in proportions, and uh, it's hard to make. A, 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 well, it would be difficult to to give a, a rendering that people would understand. You know, it just it's just tough. Um, but uh, Professor Belke and I uh, did talk about me using the materials that model railroaders use for HO scale railroads. Um, and uh, uh, if he and I also have an affinity for HO scale railroads, I'll just leave that be. But uh, let's get on with the chapter as we have it. So chapter five, <clears throat> all the work which Solomon carried out for the house of the Lord was completed. So Solomon brought the things his father David had dedicated, namely the silver, the gold, and all the vessels and utensils and put them into the treasuries of the house of God. And my first question for you is, why did Solomon wait until the entire complex was finished before bringing in all the treasury? Couldn't, as soon as the treasure rooms were done, couldn't he have started filling them up? You think dust was an issue, perhaps? 
I, 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 I'm thinking of a different issue. I hadn't thought about dust. Security. I was thinking, too, about getting ripped off. Um, you know, leave the stuff until you've got, you know, all the workmen out and so forth, then bring it in. Uh, remember that that was an issue in Hezekiah's time when Sennacherib sent envoys to the king of Judah um, to marvel at the temple. And what did King Hezekiah do? He said, oh, let me show you. And he opened up all the treasury rooms and showed him just how wealthy he was. And, uh, and then Isaiah said, you dope. Um, uh, I think, the, I think the, the, the translations usually say you fool, but dork is probably a closer thing. But, uh, and, and said, your, your, your sons will lose all of that. It'll all be plundered. You know, in the, in the days of your children. And Hezekiah, who I'm beginning to think more and more was a little bit thick, um, he took that as a, as a good thing. Oh, good, we'll have peace in my lifetime at least. You know, he didn't, you know, uh, some people just don't get it uh, sometimes, but that's Hezekiah. But Solomon waited and brought everything in. Verses 2 and 3. Then Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes, the leading fathers of the people in Israel and Jerusalem, in order to bring up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord from the city of David, that is, from Zion. So right now the Ark of the Covenant was outside of David's house, uh, up on the top of the city of David, but Solomon wants to bring it all the way up into the temple. The Ark isn't there yet. And it's not a, as if the workmen could just pick the thing up and move it, right? Who had to move the ark? Yeah, specifically the priests. In the case of the ark, it couldn't even be touched by a Levite. The, the priests had to pick up the poles and, and, uh, and carry it and, and, and put it in. All the men of Israel gathered in the presence of the king at the festival that takes place during the seventh month. When is the first month of the religious calendar in Jerusalem? If I tell you that Passover happens then, does that help? And that Passover and Easter are connected? Does that help? March, April, yeah, yeah, March, April. Uh, so um, uh, if, if, if we just say that it's March, what's... And it's, this is the seventh month now. If March is the first month, what would the seventh month be six months after March? September, October. It's now. It's now. This is the, 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 the seventh month of the Hebrew calendar. It's the month of Tishri. It's called, I believe it's Ethnaim or something like that, but Tishri is the other name for it. I was going to bring my geezer calendar and I forgot. I, I apologize. Um, I have a replica of the little boy's homework. It's about this tall um, and about that wide. It's a little uh, uh, clay carving where a, a, a child in Gezer, which is a, it's a, it's a city in Judah, way over on the Philistine border, so in the, in the foothills of, of Israel, and a, a little boy lost his homework one day. I can imagine what his dad said when he got home. But it was, uh, he, had, he had taken home this clay thing and his teacher had written in these little poems about the months of the year and what gets done in those months. 
you know, that, that, that whatever it was, the third month is for planting and the fourth month is the rain and the fifth month is the early harvest and, you know, and so forth. Well, he had copied that over and you can tell it's a little boy partly because of the penmanship and partly because of his atrocious spelling. So it's not that big and it, it, there's all kinds of stuff written on this thing. And uh, so the, the, the teacher or the Levite or whoever it was showed him how to spell these things and then he copied it and didn't spell it right. It's right there and he didn't, you know, how many teachers have gone through that? You know, and uh, uh, with uh, no, there is T-H-E-I-R, you know, and so forth. And um, so, and, and the, the significance of that little bit of homework that I have a copy of at home is that it's the only place in the world, in all of archaeology, all of literature, where all 12 of the Hebrew months are recorded. They aren't in the Bible, not all of them. Um, and uh, the word I'm using, Tishri, for the seventh month, is not in Scripture. It's called Ethnayim in the, in the or, or, I, I think I'm pronouncing that right, in other places in the Bible, but usually just the seventh month. But we know it of, we know of it as Tishri because of this little boy's, what a wonderful thing that this kid lost his homework, you know, because he was running home or chased a girl or whatever it was, and um, the geezer calendar. It appeared in one sermon of mine 15 years ago, and uh, only one congregation member caught what I was talking about, and I thought, I'm never doing that again. Um, but at least somebody, knew, uh, Professor Paustian, Mark Paustian, knew what I was talking about. And uh, so he said, I've never heard the geezer calendar brought up before. I didn't mention that, but I described what it was. Anyway, uh, so, okay. So then when all the elders of Israel had come, the priests who were Levites lifted up the ark. So everybody's there to watch. And now they lift up the ark of the covenant. They've got it up. I, I would think if it were me on my shoulder, because who wants to hold the thing at arm's length? You know, no matter how many of you there are. By the way, there is a, a, a kind of a limit to how long the poles could be. Because it does have to fit in the temple, right? In the, in the Holy of Holies. And you've got a 30 foot by 30 foot space. Um, does that mean that it had to fit in there perfectly? Well, we got a passage coming up that says that the poles might have stuck out. Um, but we'll come to that. We'll, we'll talk about that in a, in a minute. So they brought the ark and the tent of meeting and all the holy vessels which were in the tent. The priests and Levites brought them up. Now I have a question here in context, and that is, which tent of meeting was this? So they were bringing the ark up from David's house, a little ways down the hill, Right? And David had set up a tent for it that is called the tent or the tent of meeting. But over in Gibeah, which is that place that's kind of out toward MVL, that far away I talked about, um, that was where the tabernacle, Moses' actual tabernacle, and the altar were. So a thing I wonder here in the text is, which tent of meeting was this? David's or Moses'? And in context, I'm not sure, but I kind of sort of think it might have been David's. You know, that was the handy tent 
that they now rolled up and brought in. But why, whichever one it was, and maybe they brought both in, and that also makes sense to me, why would they bring the tabernacle into the temple at this point? Which I think was the correct and godly thing to do, but why do it? Well, what if they didn't? What would, what would happen? It could be taken, or in my mind, worse than that, God wanted them to worship at one place. So what if you leave the other place still sticking around? You know, uh, then, then what happens then? What are we doing? When the tornado hit St. Paul's across the street back in, what was it, 81, 1881? Um, the new building was built in 82, um, and after the new building was built, which church did people go to? The new one, not the old one, right? Um, now, in our culture, is it okay to have two churches in the same town? Yeah, okay, but that's not what it was supposed to be for them. They were to have one place only for worship. And the, 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 the important part really isn't so much the tent that Aaron and Moses had built, but the altar. And the altar was at Gibeah. Well, Solomon had built a new altar. So where should we be offering sacrifices? At the new one. So what should happen to the old one? That's the question that Solomon is going through. And what should happen to the old one? I think brought into the temple. I mean, isn't that the best place to put the thing? Then nobody's tempted to put it back up again. You know, if it's just at Glenn's house over on 5th Street, I'm just making something up, even though that really is a person on a real street. Um, then what are we, you know, that, might his children or grandchildren be tempted to set it back up again? But if you have storerooms all around the temple, which Solomon had, then couldn't you put the old tabernacle, remember they had to be rolled up for carrying and all that, and all the pieces were, you know, put away in little boxes or whatever, put that in the storeroom. You know, put it behind the Holy of Holies. Or, remember I've been, I've been making a big deal out of the fact that the temple was 60 feet tall and the Holy of Holies was only 30 feet tall? What does that give you above the Holy of Holies? A 30-foot storage room. And would that be an appropriate place to stick the old tabernacle, basically, the altar, all of it, put it in the storage, mothball it up there, and leave it all up there, uh, because it had to be light enough for guys to carry. Therefore, it could be stored, you know, up, upstairs, I'll say. Um, does anybody know what's above the, uh, in our church? You know, that we, we have on the one side... The, the pastor's sacristy, our locker room with its uh, closet, and there's a little tiny bathroom and the smallest hallway in the building, which has a door here and a door here, and, and all the bricks from Christmas in there and stuff. And, uh, what's, and what's above it? Did you know that there's uh, something above it? On the other side, there is the, what we call the wine sacristy or the working sacristy where all the communion ware goes 
and behind it, flowers and ladders, really, right? And, and banners and all the handbells. And what's above that? Some of you know. Some of you have been up there. Storage, Storage of especially what? Yeah, basically, we keep Christmas up there. Yeah, that's, that's what's up there and some other things. Well, above the pastor's sacristy are old books. Old, old, old hymnals and some Bibles and some Sunday school hymnals and things like that. And that there's not much else up there. Is there art? That's... Yeah, there there are books though, right? In that, that are kind of here and there on the floor, <clears throat> up there. Okay. Not many, but there are there are some books up there. But we've uh, no some English, but some German, and uh, we've been wondering what are we going to do with the old hymnals? You know, and uh, you know, do you what do you do with old hymnals? Right. But do you know what happens 20 years after that? People bring them to Pastor Smith. Grandma died, so I figured you'd want this. So I end up, they, they all eventually come back. We try to give them away, and we try to put in a clause like, okay, but no tag backs, you know, that kind of thing. And, but they, they, they come back eventually. Well, anyway, they, 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 I, think, I think keeping the, the, the tabernacle in the temple would have been the wise thing to do. We're not told that, except here, that they brought it up with the holy vessels and the tent. They brought it uh, up to the temple, into the temple also. So this is where we figure that out. Verse 6, King Solomon and the whole congregation of Israel that had gathered with him in front of the ark were sacrificing sheep and oxen, too many to be counted or numbered. We know from scripture that they were pretty good at counting big numbers. So if they say too many, that means, it really means too many. Usually too many means more than 10,000. Otherwise we often have the number, but you know. One of my ancestors came from a people who, whose counting was one, two, three, and a bunch. For Israel, it, it kind of got to about 10, 20,000 and then went to about sure, too many. Yeah. Um, the priests brought the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord to its place in the inner sanctuary of the house. That is, to the most holy place, and they placed it under the wings of the cherubim. Can we just pause there for a moment? Why were multiple priests allowed to take the Ark of the Covenant into the most holy place? It's a, it's a simple answer. One guy couldn't, uh, is, 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 is Zadok going to do this? No, he can't. So the, the thing hasn't been closed yet. So it's open and they take it in. And the cherubim were spreading their wings over the place of, for the Ark so that the cherubim covered the Ark and its poles from above. So you've got everything is set there and the priests who a couple of them get to be in there and see it. They know that they're never going to see it again. But they got to see it. I would have been wide-eyed and looking around and thinking and 
go home and draw a picture of what I remember and so forth and talk to my brother about, you know, you draw the left half and I'll draw the right half and, you know, that kind of thing. That's the way my brother and I used to be about all kinds of things. But The poles were so long. Now this, okay. The poles were so long that the ends of the poles could be seen from the holy place in front of the inner sanctuary, but they could not be seen from outside. They are there to this day. Why did they leave the poles attached to the ark? If it's never going to be carried again, why leave the poles? It's a pretty simple answer. No, it's even simpler than that. God said to Moses, never take the poles out. So the poles stayed. They were, they were acacia wood. They were overlaid with gold. Don't take these off. So that they, they didn't. They didn't take them off. And they're there to this day. And uh, how old were these things? Assuming they had never been replaced because of rot. And I don't know. If you cover a solid piece of wood in gold, is it going to rot? I kind of think no. It's, it's not going to, water's not going to get in there. Bugs aren't going to get in there. And where's it going to go, you know? So I kind of think it stayed. And there are buildings in the world that are, Hundreds and hundreds of years old. How old were these poles? How old was the Ark of the Covenant here? Let me see how your math and historical sense are doing. Uh, uh, they were a little bit, uh, they were close to being 450 years old. Which, if you think about it, that's not that old, is it? I mean, there are th- you, know, you, you might think it was a lot longer, but Solomon lives, is, is reigning here in the 700s. 770 is when we are, and 1446 is when Moses made this stuff. So that gives you about the time frame we're talking about. I said 770. What I meant was 970 B.C. Um, But uh, I think we're going to pause there, and we'll pick it up from that point then next time. You've been listening to Invisible Church, the Bible study podcast from St. Paul's Lutheran Church, New Wall, Minnesota.